Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. The specific request that comes from those disciples, it's, it's important for us to remember. What does the disciples say? What do they say? They say, God, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And in that request, we get this instruction that that we find in the Bible. We get this instruction that comes from Jesus to the disciples that says, if you would pray, do it this way. And, you know, so often, so often we get hung up in how we pray. So often we get hung up on, well, I don't, I don't pray for long enough. I don't, I don't use the right words. I, who am I to, to speak to God? And as we, we look at, at what we have here, there's this instruction of, of just a few sentences uh, of how to speak to God. And, and the fact of the matter is that there's not really any specific way that There's no magic formula. There's no specific order of words that we need to know about. We are called to simply come to God. We're we're called to to have relationship with him. And we started our study off recognizing just those first two words as potentially being a a hurdle to this process uh, of recognizing that we have this intimate relationship with God because the, the first two words, our Father, that's, that's the relationship that God wants. That's the relationship that God is, is looking for with us, that of a father to a child. And sometimes it is so easy to, to put him in a box of the creator of the universe, the, the God who, who made all things, the, the God who has parted the Red Sea, who flooded the earth and saved Noah in an ark, who, who saved Daniel in the lion's den, who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the burning furnace, with, with all of these different amazing situations. That God is the God that wants to be our Father. That's God, that is the God who, who has called us His children. And so that's the, the first important aspect for us to make sure we understand as we continue through this. And, and as we've gone through that section, we come to this, this next recognition that, that he's in heaven and that his name is holy and that there's no one like him in all the earth. And as we studied last week, that, that because he is in heaven and because he is holy and because he is the creator of all things, we ask that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done here on earth in this place, in, in these four walls, in these four walls, that his kingdom would come and that he would sit on the throne and that I wouldn't. And only after that, only after we get through the, path, the point of recognizing that we have a God who is holy and a God whose kingdom is to come here on this earth, only after we recognize those aspects, those character traits, those components of God, do we then come to where we bring our request to the Lord. 
Give us today our daily bread. It's, it's interesting as you look at the requests that we see in this prayer. There's three specific requests. And we, we first of all seek God for the daily need that exists in our life, that, that daily need which we all know that we have. And after we seek for that, we then, we then ask for forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong because we all know that we desperately require that. And finally, we seek him so that we would be preserved from temptation, which we all understand that we face on a daily basis. And in every single one of these requests, in recognizing that, that God is the provider of our daily bread, and recognizing that he is a God who forgives, and recognizing that he is a God who protects, we are recognizing that he is a good father. We are recognizing that he is a father who loves his children because he gives graciously. God knows our need. And so if we look at this phrase, give us today our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. It's, it's something that's probably pretty familiar. You know, if you've maybe grown up in the church, maybe this is something that's pretty pretty rote, something that, that you've maybe glanced over from time to time. And as you start looking at commentaries, which maybe you don't look at commentaries, but as I'm getting ready for these things, I look at commentaries. And, and as I'm looking at, at the commentary about what it means when we're talking about daily bread, there's a lot of different things that daily bread could mean. And some of it, I think, is total baloney. And so, you know, some commentaries are talking about, you know, how it has to do with the Lord's Supper and, and how there's, there's some tie-in to the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And man, I would be an awesome pastor if I could figure out how to make that fit well in this. And that is not what I'm getting here. <laughs> that is, is not what I see and, you know, other people talk about the, the bread that, that we're, we're after here, being, referring to the word of God. You know, give, give us each day the, the word of God that's, that's applicable to us. And while, while I recognize that we do require the word of God, I don't think that's what it's talking about here either. Maybe it's just bread. Maybe it's just provision. If we look at, at society after society, the, the base provision that you need to go from day to day to day is bread. If we look at the, the widow and, man, if I was a really great pastor also, I would have probably remembered if it was Elijah or Elisha. I think it's Elisha. The widow and Elisha, they get together and they have the, the oil and the flour and it's the last that they have. And what do they make? They make bread. If we, we look at, at different societies and different cultures throughout the earth, uh, as someone who likes carbs, you know that they have bread, right? So uh, the Hispanic culture has tortillas, and that's, that's their bread, a form of their bread. It, and if we look at the Jewish culture, maybe there's, there's, there's a lot of different options. There's maybe matzah, or there's maybe uh, challah bread. 
And if we, we look at all of these different areas, we see that there's these different areas where, where bread is, is common. Bread is, is the base need that exists. There may be other components to uh, sustenance, but bread is typically that, that base item. If we look back at, at the Old Testament, there's a specific point that I think is very relevant to what the daily bread is talking about. And if we look at Exodus chapter 16, we see that there is an experience that God's people, God trained his people on what it meant to look this day for their daily bread. There was years and years and years and years of wandering in the wilderness. And during that time, God said, I'm going to teach you what it means to seek my daily bread. And one of the, the ways that this unfolds is manna comes down from heaven. And it comes down and it lands on the ground. Literal bread from heaven falls on the ground and he commands his people to go out and pick up the wafers off of the ground and eat it. And I am going to provide for you your daily bread. And you do not take more than you need for today. You don't take more than you need. I will provide. There's only enough for today. Don't, don't carry it over for tomorrow. And what did they do? Some of them immediately took it and kept it for tomorrow. Failing the test immediately. There was to be no carryovers, no, no doggy bags, no, no saving it up. And he said, if you do so, there will be worms and maggots and it will smell. And nevertheless, here, here they come, waking up in the morning, saying, hmm, would you like some manna from last night? And they go out and they, they take it out of their jar and they bring it into their house. And, and here they are with this rotten, maggot-infested manna that they bring in to, to give to their family. There's a, a lesson for life. Most of the, the stink, most of the maggot-ridden stuff that exists in our life is a result of us disobeying a command from God, is a result of us doing what we think is best and not acknowledging that God in heaven provides our daily, for our daily needs. And on the, the sixth day, unlike all of the other days, they were to take a double supply so that they were able to rest on the Sabbath and they were able to, to take a break. And yet some went out to, to look for, for the same provision of manna on the Sabbath. And what we get when we look at Exodus 16 is there, there's multiple lessons for us to learn. And the first one is we are to daily be dependent on God. Number two is that, that there is a holy day. There is a day of rest that we are called to, to observe, a Sabbath rest. And number three is the, the sinfulness and the selfishness that exists in hoarding God's blessing.
when you look at this real life example and you look at at this in the context of give us today give us each day our daily bread sometimes when you when you look at that you start wondering well why couldn't god have just given him enough bread for the week what what was wrong with them collecting it and making sure they were planning ahead What's, what's wrong with saving up for, for that rainy day that we just don't know what's going to happen? But what we see here is God teaching his people day after day after day, saying that I will provide. And I want you to trust me enough to know that the exact way that I provided for you today is the exact way I'm going to prepare, provide for you tomorrow. And it is the exact way I'm going to prepare, provide for you the next day. And the day after that, I will provide. You do not need to waste your time or your energy in providing for yourself. I will provide. I want you to be able to wake up tomorrow and to be able to discover that the same God who provided for you today will be the God that's providing for you tomorrow too. That's the the lesson. It's not a a spiteful lesson of, I'm going to create some unhealthy codependent relationship. It's the relationship of saying, I am excited for you to see what I can do for you. I am excited for you to experience the blessing that I have in store for you. Watch this. And if you decide to carry it through on your own, there's a consequence. There's a lesson. There's there's discipline that will happen. It's going to stink up your kitchen. And, and that's why he leaves them this instruction of taking a, a bit of that manna and putting it in a jar and, and storing it and saving it. Not saving it to eat, saving it to look at and say, this is evidence of God's provision in my life. This is evidence of God doing exactly what he says he's going to do. And it wasn't there for the people that got the manna from the sky. The manna in the jar was there for their children and their children's children to go back and look at and say, this is evidence that God is faithful. And I know that if we all stop and we look in our lives, we have those manna jars that exist. Those things that that we can look at, that we can point to. Maybe it's something we can touch. Maybe it's something that we know happened at this certain date and time, but we look back and we say, because this is here, I know that God is faithful. I know that God does what he says he's going to do. God is a God who keeps his promises. Give us today our our daily bread is is summing up our, our basic material needs. It's interesting that this request comes first. 
The, the, the bare necessities of life is what comes first. We're, it's, as you're, you're looking at this list, it's like, well, couldn't we have come up with something a little bit more like churchy than just daily bread? Like something a little bit more holy, a little bit more reverent. Our Father cares about our daily needs. Our Father cares about the things that, that are important to us, the things that are personal, that are practical. The, the Father that we serve. And again, this is why it's so important to recognize our Father is giving us our daily bread is, is because He is interested in you. He is concerned about you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. In Matthew 6, he, he tells his disciples, you don't need to worry about the things that you're going to wear. You don't need to worry about the, the food that you're going to eat. It says, you remember the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Another scripture, it says, therefore seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Hallowed be your name, God. Your kingdom come and your will be done. First, I'm going to seek the kingdom of God and, his, and your righteousness, and then everything else will be provided. Everything else will be, will be taken care of. You will take care of the needs that exist in my life. What Jesus is saying right there when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, is he's saying, take care of my things, and I will take care of your things. He's saying, you, you do the stuff that I have asked you to do, the, the, the commandments that I have put in, for, in front of you, seeking first my kingdom, seeing my, your kingdom come is, is what that means, and my righteousness. And as you seek those things, I will add all of this to you. In 1 Peter 5, 7, there's a verse in the NIV that says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares about you. And there's an author that, that has a paraphrased version of this that is very applicable. And it says, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him, for you are his personal concern. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties, your worries, your concerns, those things that are keeping you up at night. You can take all of those things and you can throw them upon him for you are his personal concern. The God of the universe, the God who knit you together, who knows every fiber of your being you are his personal concern. And as we come to worship this morning, as we come to this place, maybe you're beleaguered, maybe you're, you're tired, maybe you're disheartened, maybe you're disappointed 
in, in what is going on in your day-to-day life. Maybe you are, are worn out by the conversations with your coworkers or your, your supervisor, your boss, your family. Whatever else is making you feel alienated, whatever else is making you feel sidelined by the events that are taking place in your life, you can stop and say, I am God's personal concern. In the midst of all of those things, I am God's personal concern. And if we, being earthly, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good things to him who asks for them? We are his personal concern. And so the the next important item that we have to, to think about then, if this is the case, is what is a need versus a desire? God knows our needs, and he's able to distinguish between needs and desires. And what what we may regard as a requirement for living, he may see as superfluous to our needs. Don't you wish that wasn't the case? (laughs) Each of us, Maybe if, if you're a parent, if, if you know someone who is a parent or if you had a parent, which I think covers everybody in this room, I'm pretty sure, uh, have had that experience of either being the person bringing that outlandish request of, I think I really, 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 really need that thing, whether it's that Corvette whether it's that I really, really, really need this new video game, or I I really, really, really need that new jean jacket. I really, really, really need these things. And his parents saying, I don't think you do. And you go into your room and you're bitterly disappointed about the fact that you didn't get the thing that you, you are certain that your existence is going to end without. Only to then find out that maybe there was a reason that, that you didn't get the thing that you thought you should get. Finding out that, that the father who loves you, that the mother who loves you, or you as the parent love your child and because of that, You're not going to allow their desire for short-term benefit get in way of them being blessed by the best. And that's that's what it is. And and it's so easy to lose that mindset when we are the ones asking, when we are the ones saying, God, I really, really, really need this. And he says, I love you enough to tell you that you are not going to have that because I have so much more in store for you. I have so much more in mind for you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard how much I have planned for you. The writer of the Proverbs, Proverbs 30, verse 8, it says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. 
He's saying, don't make me really rich. Don't make me really poor. Just give me what I need. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I, may, or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. And so finally, we come to this last point of not only are we to, to seek God for the the daily provision in our lives. We're called to share what we've been given. Father knows best. He knows our needs. He knows knows the desires of our heart. But he also wants us to share what we have. And I didn't really quite pick up on why that was so apparent until recently when it says, give us our daily bread. It doesn't say, give me my daily bread. It says, give us today our daily bread. And it's easy to look at and say, oh, it's just because we're all in this together. <laughs> we, we all have to take this thing on on our own. Whatever God gives to me is ours. He didn't just give it to me so I could stash it away. He didn't just give it to me so I could hoard it. Let's use manna as the example. When God gave the manna, he didn't just say, okay, here, take this and stash it away in your your locker for the next six months. No, he said, take it, eat it, share it with those who need it, and tomorrow there's going to be more. This is a hard thing for a capitalistic society to understand. (laughs) It really is. And I would say that that this probably is applicable to the entire United States of America as being a difficult concept to understand. The answer is yes, there is a responsibility that we have beyond ourselves. There is a responsibility that, that says that those who have been blessed, those who have been richly rewarded have a responsibility to those who have not experienced that same blessing. Both personally, in your family, economically, socially, nationally, we as a nation have a responsibility to be a blessing. That was the the charge that was given to the the nation of Israel, is that they were to go out and they were to be a blessing to all of the other nations in the earth. That's what what God told Abraham he was going to do, that that through Abraham, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. And they they were, because through Abraham's line eventually came Jesus Christ, who is obviously the blessing to the world. But in the midst of that, the people of Israel were called to be a blessing to the nations around them. And that was not something that they lived out. That is the same calling that exists to us as followers of Christ today. We are called to be a blessing. 
In 2 Corinthians 9, 7-8, it says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that with all of that grace in all things at all times having all that you need. I like how often it's saying all. You will abound in every good work. It doesn't really get a whole lot clearer than that. It really doesn't. We are supposed to give cheerfully from our hearts. What what we see here is that through prayer, as we come to the Lord saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. As we, we make that prayer, all grace abounds to us in all things. If you look at James, James talks about, you you say that you're a good Christian, you say that you're a good follower of Christ and that you have faith, that you're a, a Bible believer. You honor God, you've been baptized, you, you talk about the, the faith that exists in your life. And he says, well, what good is that if you don't do anything with it? What good is that? And that's what it's talking about when we say, give us today our daily bread. It's talking about doing something with the blessing that you have been given, with the blessing that I have been given My daily bread isn't meant to just hang out and and line my nest. It's not supposed to just be that thing that lives in my savings account. It's not supposed to be the thing that, that gets tucked away into my 401k. The daily bread is supposed to be something that I use to to bless those around me. I have been blessed, and therefore I shall be a blessing. I need to be clear. This is not a sermon that says you shouldn't put any money in your savings account. This isn't a sermon that says you're, you're doing it wrong if you have a 401k. That's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is recognizing that, that in your blessing, you can be a blessing. And the God who is able to provide for your savings account, the God who is, is providing a way for you to come into retirement at the, the right age is also a God who gives you blessing to be a blessing. What this also means is that we are called to recognize where that blessing comes from. The blessing doesn't come from the NASDAQ. When we recognize that our our blessing comes from the giver of perfect gifts, we can wake up in the morning, we can go take a look at the stock market and say, it's down 500 points. 
I still serve a God of blessing. Maybe you, you woke up and you, you go out to start your car and your car won't start. Obviously, it's, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to, to be discouraged and to, to have that, that moment of, well, what do we do now? But we also have an opportunity in that moment to say, I serve a God of blessing who will give me my daily bread. There was an interesting example of this, an illustration in the life of a man named John Wesley, who's, who's well known in the, in the Christian church. And John Wesley had this group of itinerant preachers who would go out and just go out into the country and preach to different locations. And there was one particular man named Samuel Bradburn. He was a good preacher and, and he was known as a good man as well. And he, he goes out and there's this one specific occasion when it was getting pretty rough. And he's out there and he didn't have enough money to do anything. He didn't have enough money to, to have a place to stay he didn't have enough money to eat anything. And John Wesley sent him this letter. He said, And verily thou shalt be fed. Trust in the Lord and do good. And so shall you dwell in the land forever. Yours affectionately, John Wesley. What good does that letter do to the man who's starving? Not a whole lot. But with the letter, he sent the equivalent of a little more than 200 bucks. And, and with those $200 that Samuel Bradburn receives, all of a sudden, it's not just that <laughs> that he's being encouraged, that, that he sees these words, that the speaking about faith that James is talking about, but now he's seeing the faith acted out as somebody being a blessing out of their blessing. And he writes a letter back and says, Dear Sir, and I have often been struck with the beauty of the passage, passage of Scripture quoted in your letter, but I must confess that I never saw such useful expository notes. And in this particular case, they were referring to the, the money that he sent. <laughs> I am, dear sir, your obedient and grateful servant. We've been blessed to be a blessing. And so this morning, as we, we come to a close, we have this, this opportunity to come to the table. It is okay to, to look at this communion time where Jesus is taking bread, he's giving thanks, and he's saying, this is my body. Eat. This is freely given to you. 
And, and what he's talking about in this particular moment is that daily blessing, that, that he is more than enough. The sacrifice that, that we celebrate on the cross is more than enough. And while they were eating, it says, and Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. Eat, this is my body. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come this morning and we can recognize that you, the giver of perfect gifts, gave your body, broken and poured out for us. God, as we come to this time of seeking you for our daily bread, we ask that you would cause us to be mindful of the cost. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Then he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your blood is poured out, poured out willingly for the forgiveness of the wrong things that I've done in my life. We recognize that this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop.